Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Chris Orr, who's a real estate agent with Savills Real Estate in Sydney. Now, Chris is a little bit unusual in that he works with the prestige property market, so properties that are transacting in excess of $10 million sometimes. So we have a chat to him about the differences between the high-end residential property and your average property market, what the difference in the drivers are and how properties are marketed differently in the high-end space. He gives us some great advice on the Sydney market and where he sees that going. We talk about the post-election landscape and how APRA changes are going to influence the property market. He highlights some areas that he's looking to across the country which have good investing potential and some of his strategies for minimising risk and selecting high-quality investment-grade assets as well. It's a great interview and I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy this one. Here's Chris. Chris Orr, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having me, Mike. <laughs> so so professional sounding, but I'm sure that we're going to sort of uh, we're going to head in a in an odd direction. I've just got that feeling about you, mate. But for people that don't know you, uh, can you give us a bit of a background as to who you are and what you do? Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm a, a real estate agent. I work um, my office is in the city in Sydney. Um, I typically work along the Lower North Shore. I've been in real estate for for over a decade now. I think it's about 11 years. Um, I've worked in markets from Townsville. I started in sales to the Gold Coast, had my own business there. Um, And I moved to Sydney. It was about six years ago now. So I've been here ever since. And I am um, one of the guys, one of the resi guys at Savills. Beautiful. And uh, give us some dirt on you, Chris. What posters did you have on the bedroom wall growing up? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I had Ninja Turtles. It was a gift from my <laughs> uncle, um, and I, I had a I had a nightmare about the Ninja Turtles once they were actually protecting me. So it was it was I think it was a good omen. But um, yeah, just the normal stuff as a kid, you know, the music posters and and um, nothing too promiscuous. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to need to get one of those therapist lounges if we start talking about nightmares and Ninja Turtles. You're the first one with that. But what about property? Oh, I, I just thought it's best to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, good, good. We've got you strapped up to uh, a polygraph at the moment. Talk to us about real estate. How did you get uh, How did you get involved in in real estate? And what was your first investment? Yeah, so I. I was a chef initially out of school. Um, my sister was in sales and she, um, over a, a period of a, a few months, actually talked me into it and I thought, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. So um, it turned out that was the case. Um, I started just straight out of the bat in sales by myself and um, surprisingly did quite well. I'm not sure if that's a testament to my character or the market, but um, that was that was during the GFC. So Prices. I remember I was selling a place and I was getting an offer for a client and it was going back five grand a week. Um, and so we were literally looking at prices declining. And I think just that hunger of um, just constantly chasing, doing the best for the client and, and working hard was sort of what got me to where I am today. But my first investment was a block of Townsville in a suburb called Nome and it cost me 30 grand. Um, I bought that on an apprentice's wage, and I was I was paying an interest-only loan. I I sold that for, I think it was seventy grand. So I I doubled my money. Um, that That'll was do. yeah. That was and that was wasn't me doing it. That was Dad said it was a, a good idea. He was at an auction. Next thing you know, I've signed a contract. I wasn't even there. Um, so 
I'm not sure if I'd be too keen on on doing that again in this current market. But I mean, it was a good it was a good foray into I guess the industry, and and I sort of started thinking, well, I want to know what I'm doing. I, you know, I, I don't want to make sort of decisions blindly, and I, I think that was um, you know the best thing that came out of that transaction was not not the profit. It was actually wanting to go out and know what I was doing in that space. And that sort of led me to where I am today. Well, I guess it showed you that you can make some pretty good money in real estate. But yeah, of course, that was that was a pretty blind one. What, what sort of time period were we talking for, for that appreciation? That was just over a year, so it wasn't it wasn't um, anything too strenuous, and it was it was literally it was during the boom. Um, I think it was two thousand and five or four. I can't remember, um, but it was yeah, things were going blockbusters, and and you know you you bought you bought a, a square meter of grass, and you've you've made money. So I think you know that was a unsustainable market but it was um yeah I'll, i mean put it this way if anyone earned more than they earned in that year um doing something else i'm sure they'd be excited about learning about it too oh yeah exactly now um just just getting to the uh the townsville market you obviously put a comment um in there to say that things aren't necessarily as rosy at the moment you you obviously spent a bit of time in townsville and the gold coast can you talk to us about what the market was like when you were operating in those areas and contrast that to today yeah sure um so it was declining um i mean i i worked with some really good agents on the Gold Coast who were selling Prestige. So Prestige there was anything over a mil at the time. Um, and, I mean, the, the, there was a guy in my office, he wrote $3.65 million. Um, this was 2008, um, wow. so just before I joined that business. But it was, um, yeah, it was eye-opening. You, you were seeing people grow their market share. You were seeing a lot of agents get out. And I think the market today... In Sydney, it would be specific about where I am. Is um, we are seeing a lot of agents step out of the market because they're just they're not able to either sell product, but more importantly, it is getting harder. You know, we're we're having to work twice as hard for this for half as much pay. So it um, the market here now reflects what I've always done. Um, so for me, this is normal. Um, and if you talk about auction clearance rates, we've got auction clearance rates in Sydney, which average around 50 to 60%. Um, where I work on the Lower North Shore, it it's, can be a bit higher. Um, but when I first started in sales, my auction clearance rate was 30%. And if I got 30%, I was really excited. <laughs> right. So I used, to list, I used to list three to sell one. Um, and so today, I, you know, I, I list two to sell one or more. And that, to me, that's so exciting. For me, this is easier. So um, I think I think it's just perspective. You know, I'm not saying I'm I'm not any better than anyone else. I'd like to say that I'm very hardworking. I'll do whatever it takes. But um, for me, my perspective is that you know I've I've had it tougher than this. And and for me, I'll, I'll push through this. No chat. It's not a problem. So, Chris, when it comes to the marketing of these higher-end properties, we're talking about valuations, you know, in excess of five, ten million dollars. Are they marketed in a different way to your average, say, new town two-bedroom unit worth five or six hundred? That's a really good question. Um, we use a lot of the same tools, but um, international connection seems to be the flavour of the month at the moment. You probably notice, um, you know, whether the agents have 
an assistant that's bilingual, um, they may refer to themselves as having connections in in other countries. But I mean, it really comes back to, uh, I guess, the fundamentals of, of what your business is. I mean, our, our office is 600 um, offices across the globe. We're one company. So we're actually transacting in Hong Kong, China, um, and we're talking about multiple cities across the continent. So um, connections are a sort of a, I don't know, just it's, that's to us, it's not a gimmick. It's just part of what we do. Um, but you'll notice that it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a thing that's put out there. Um, we, look, we've got an international magazine as well, which we promote. Um, and we've got international agents who actually have clients who have access to our stock. So it's not just a listing on an Australian website that hopefully someone in, in um, you know, Russia can have a look at and, and potentially purchase. We've actually got people on the ground in those markets dealing with clients on a daily basis. Um, and not just in residential, where we work across um, capital markets, industrial, retail, um, construction management. We've got a valuations business. Um, we've got tenant reps. So, I mean, if in a C-suite level in another country, there's a really good chance that we're dealing with them. So I think that that depth of international access really makes a difference for us. Um, but yeah, look, locally is key. We work with the best of the best. Even in Sydney, we've, we've got quite a big um, capital markets team. So um, the people who are, are purchasing in that, you know, I, I guess five million plus, um, there's a really good chance they've dealt with this on a commercial level at some point already anyway. So it's, um, it's I guess it's just how we position it in terms of the service. The, the people generally that we deal with, they've, they, they're usually, they're trusting us already. You know, we've, we've transacted with them um, and we can offer a high level of service as a result because we know what they need. That's an interesting point because, you know, you often hear real estate agents that will go to, you know, a very average property and do their listing presentation and say, I'm part of XYZ group and we've got 500 offices across, you know, New Zealand and Singapore and Fiji and all that sort of stuff. And it means next to bugger all when you're talking about a property in Mount Druitt, for example, but with the high-end stuff, you need those connections, right? Because these transactions often are coming from from money from abroad, right? Well, uh, yeah, there, there is that opportunity. And I, I think, you know, regardless of how expensive your property is, you really want to be making sure that you cover all bases. Um, and for us, we, we focus not just on breadth, but depth. Um, of of being able to actually connect with those people and and we you know generally we might have their email address or their phone number or a relationship somewhere so we we actually um, can potentially put your property in front of them rather than just putting it on a website or putting it in a a newspaper or putting it on a, a you know a, a Chinese speaking newspaper um, I mean I know our Hong Kong office is the the largest business um, commercially over there so just that alone is is for some people, it's a major selling point. But yeah, it's for us, again, as I said, it's not a gimmick. It's just what we do. Um, we have that as part of our business. We're not a franchise model. What about when when some of these uh, vendors are engaging agents? If we're talking about a listing in the tens of millions, do, do they call up their local real estate agent and get three of them in to do their listing presentation and that sort of thing? Or, or is it a different world? It is a different world. So... Look, generally, it's it's through a network or by association. You know, 
at at a certain level you've you've you would know people um you know if you've if you've bought a ten million dollar house you probably have a substantial business or or interests in the area you know people who would know a real estate agent anyway so you 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 wouldn't be new to the market um i think often you're um Often they're engaging directly, but sometimes you, you'll be dealing through an assistant as well, um, and that assistant may decide to put a tender to a certain agent or a few agents that they feel are active in the area. Um, but it's rarely it's a Google search. It's it, you know mistakes at that level are expensive, so it's there's a lot of trust that goes into that transaction, and I think um, generally it's it is referral or, or who you know. Mate, I hope your Masonic handshake is uh, in fine form. It sounds like you've got to be in, in, in those sorts of networks. Practicing, yeah, but um, it's it, look, it's time. It's just time in market. When we're talking about some of these acquisitions, often these are people that have, as you say, massive profiles. How, how important is it with privacy with some of these um, listings? Because often when these things sell, we're talking massive, you know, national headlines. How, how is that managed in the prestige end of town? Look, it's really important. Discretion is a very high priority for a lot of clients, um, and I think. It does vary. So I think the really important thing is to set up the expectation from the client from day one um, to to just sit with them and and understand what it is that they need. Um, You know, that can be as clear as um, occasionally that they don't want um, inspections with multiple people. They want it one by one so that you can be there with them. Um, It could be that they don't want their identity disclosed. Um, it, but the, the fundamental is it, it generally does get out um, in some form or another. Um, but as an agent, it, it's our job to try and minimise that um, and ensure that you know there's, that we can at least make it as comfortable for them as possible. So it, it really just depends. High profile, yeah, discretion is critical. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is, is also vetting potential buyers as well. So just because someone calls me and wants to inspect the property doesn't mean they actually can. Um, so the, the owner has the right to, to let who they want through their property. Um, so I think sometimes, um, especially when you're looking over 10 mil, we, we need to act as gatekeepers just as much as we're trying to sell the thing. That's a real tricky one, though, because I think that the the more successful I come, the dodgier you can expect me to dress, right? I put the suit and tie on because I've I've still got work to do, you know. So so how how do you sort of gauge people? I've certainly met people uh, at inspections, you know, on on properties that are worth four or five million dollars, and they don't look too crash hot. How, what what are what are some of your tips for for I guess gauging these people and their capacity to pay ten or twenty million dollars for a place? Yeah, so it's it's not as hard as you think. I mean, it sounds a bit stalkerish, but you know, Google is a great tool. Um, you can also look at directorships of people. You know, generally, if you own a business or or a trust of some sort, you you have a company that you're a director of, and we can do we can do company searches like that. It's it's not expensive. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's not as hard as you think. Plus, generally, the people who are looking. Um, in that sort of, I guess, price bracket, um, they're, they're usually fairly well exposed. You generally know who they are. 
Now, this is a, a property investment podcast, and, and rest assured, listeners, we will get to uh, some of the merits of, of property investing in these high net worth and the, and the pros and cons. But I'm interested in how someone such as yourself sort of cracks that market. You know, I, I've heard um, that there are a few individuals that really get a lot of the, the high-end sort of work. Obviously, you've spent a bit of time in, in two different markets in, in Queensland. Is, 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 is a, are a lot of the transactions handled? by these one or two sort of famous real estate names or a, or a young gun such as yourself coming in and, and taking market share? Look, I, just, I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the hardest working agent will always win. So, you know, whether you've been there for 20, 30 years um, and you think you have the right to for the business, if you're not doing the best thing by the client, which is working harder, getting more bums on seats uh, or people through the door, then fundamentally in time you'll lose so you know there's there's people that have been around for a while that have the connection and then there's also the young guys and girls who are growing the business like myself um, that are progressive and service focused so it's a mix but what you'll also notice is it's cyclical so you'll you'll look at you know 10 years ago who was who was the the gun um, around the North Shore, and and that that has changed. So, whether it's people, you know, they burn out or they decide to focus on growing an office and a sales team, um, or whether they just go, you know what, I've made my money and get out. That's really up to them. But in in time, you always see those those cycles through. And um, you know, the the agents who are winning today are the ones that are that are, have put in the effort. It's not an instant thing. Um, you know, you have to earn trust you have to build the relationship and it takes time to do that so i think um yeah once you once you have that with um, more customers the more business you'll get well i like the fact that it's a meritocracy i think that's uh that's good when that uh, gets into industries wherever it may be let's talk uh let's talk brass tacks let's talk cash what sort of figures are agents that are listing these trophy homes making is it is it a flat percentage like you'd see on your average uh property in in sydney um or are we talking about a a, a flat flea uh flat fee and what is your average flat sort fleas. of yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i'm i'm so lazy i'm not going to go back and edit that but um yeah, what what is the um what what is the fee at the moment just just for your average residential and and how does it work with the the higher end? Yeah, so look, it's pretty similar. Um, except, I mean, when you get into transactions that are you know twenty mil plus, it, it, there is room for for movement. But usually, the fee in Sydney in our marketplace is anywhere from one and a half to two percent plus GST, um, depending the size of the transaction. There are agents offering lower fees, but I mean, educated clients are always wary of cheap offers. So you you can pitch yourself low, um, but you'll be seen as as cheap and and it's always that you know why why is it what it is um it's once you're at that level you've sort of you've pigeonholed yourself so my advice is believe in yourself um charge what you're worth and and then your clients will see it too but occasionally an agreed fee may be the case but most often it's percentage yeah, so I guess there's a lot of money that can be made in listing some of these monsters, but of course they have to be marketed in different ways as well. You have to, you know, it's not like you're just going to be able to put a domain ad up. I'm guessing that these these vendors expect pretty high end production values on videos and that sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, look, it, it actually varies. You have some agents who don't recommend um thorough campaigns and and you know that's that's really their prerogative i'm a big believer in covering every single base 
Um, but I mean, it's it, the cost to to for a budget. It's I mean, it, it can be if you're buying you know, ads for for realestate.com.au and domain.com.au, generally the costs are very similar. So it's it really depends on whether you're spending money on, on marketing in terms of um, newspaper, if you're going to the Australian or the AFR, um, things like that. So it, it really depends on the property and the specific buyer profile that you're chasing. Speaking of marketing, what is all this rubbish about houses coming with Lamborghinis? Now, that's an interesting pitch that's got quite a lot of media. Do you, do you know much about that story? And is that something that we're going to see a little bit more of these gimmicks coming into play? Yeah, look, I think um, there's a few questions I've got with that. I mean, is the Lamborghini so overpriced that they can't sell it? Or is the house so overpriced that they can't sell it? Um, or are they just trying to, to get rid of one or the other with within the same transaction. I mean, incentives, historically, when you look at the market, they're only ever offered when something's really hard to sell. Um, you look at developers and they're offering, you know, free furniture packages or we'll pay you stamp duty. Um, it just always raises questions for me rather than a marketing gimmick. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I probably wouldn't be doing it. Um, I just think it's a bit, a bit tacky, to be honest. Uh, the, my inner 10-year-old boy just sort of thinks, free Lamborghini. But yeah, obviously, you're a bit cleverer than that. And I think that's that's good advice. You know, often when the, the deal sort of sounds a bit too good to be true, you've got to look at the reasons why someone would, would, would put that to the marketplace. If if properties are flying out the door off the plan on a, on a new development, then why would you offer an incentive, right? That's the thing. If it's good enough, it's worth it. So it's, um, you know, the 10-year-old you probably can't afford it, which is a good thing. Um, the adult you is is more educated and, and makes, um, I guess, decisions based on on the merits of something, and still can't afford it. Let's um, <laughs> let let's get back to 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 property investing now. Obviously, there's a there's an inherent problem with putting all your eggs in one basket. I.e., if you're buying a five million dollar place, potentially you could have ten five hundred thousand dollar properties and a much more diversified portfolio. But look, when when the average investor is spending, you know, five hundred or sometimes up to a million dollars, there are obviously some some safety aspects in spreading your risk, but can these higher-end properties be better investments? Would you sort of advocate people to pull resources and go bigger and harder? Look, yes and no, um, and I'll, I'll explain both. So, yes, because, I mean, if you told me you were just buying one property and that was either going to be a $500,000 property or a $5 million property, obviously the compounding on a $5 million property is going to be greater. Um, so that's as good as yes gets. Um, but no, because I mean, you can almost always get a better yield from cheaper stock. And I'm, I'm not talking about um, something cheaper being the cheapest in the town. I'm talking about, you know, a good investment property in a, a sought after area that always rents and has a low vacancy rate. Um, you're going to get a, a lesser yield on the expensive stuff. And you're also, you're not going to be able to compound it any greater than you would if it was just a you know a blue chip property in a good area. So, I think as an investment, probably not a good idea um, unless it's something that you have a particular purpose for buying, and, and that may be that you um, you know you come to Sydney and you wanted to have a, a really nice place that you would go to that's yours that you leave empty, or your friends and family often often travel and use it 
um, or it may be for business purposes where you've, you know, you've got a CEO that, that wants a, a particular uh, residence and you think it may be cheaper or, or a better investment to, to purchase it rather than lease something. Um, it really depends on the situation. But as, a, as an investor, just looking at yield and compounding growth, no, I would spread myself across the smaller stuff. So with these properties, I'm guessing that the, the vast majority of people that are spending you know, upwards of $10 million, we're talking about owner-occupiers or people that are looking to owner-occupiers, so they don't perhaps care too much about vacancy or, or the yields. But is there a big market for people wanting to rent these properties that might cost you know, five or ten grand a week to rent? Surprisingly, there are people out there, yeah. So I, w- I wouldn't say it's a large market, but again, it's supply and demand and, and there's not a lot of supply. Um, so, I mean, the people that are looking at those properties are generally obviously higher income um, families. I've had CFOs, self-employed or foreign consulates looking at those type of properties as well, and, and often they stay for a period of you know two, three years. Um, but it, it's almost always parties with a, a business interest in, in the town they're renting in. So um, you'd be you'd be surprised. But I mean, sometimes properties at that at that um, you know say two thousand a week plus they're they're left empty on purpose. They just don't want them rented. Um, and I've I've known clients who have and uh, actually we look after a property at the moment. It's a it's uh, I can't say where it is, but that client particularly um, wants it left empty, and and they they pay our office uh, a fee monthly to um, to check on it essentially. Keep it empty. Yeah, to not rent it. <laughs> You've presumably got a set of keys to this place, mate. Uh, yeah, correct. Good. I'll be around this afternoon just uh, just to have a, a bit of a look there. I might stay a couple of days if you don't mind. Uh, we'll keep that on the quiet. Um, that's uh, <laughs> obviously being silly there, but I'm I'm interested in some of these stories. Obviously, privacy is an issue, and you can't share too much. But have you got any anecdotes or or stories that you can share with some of the odd things that you must see at the top end of town? Look, we're all human, right? So, I mean, my stories are probably as similar to um, to anyone who sells, you know, two hundred thousand dollar apartments in a, in another town. But, I mean, I think I think the funny one that most agents, and if you haven't come across it, it's, you probably will at some stage in your career, is um, walking on someone while they're in in bed still. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and you know, you can organise appointments or you can uh, do whatever. If, if someone's had a big night out, they may forget sometimes. So, it's um. It's it's kind of created this phobia for me. Whenever I go into a property, first thing I do is announce myself, um, and I'm straight to the bedroom. <laughs> I'm I'm straight to the bedroom. Open up the door, give it a knock, and just be sure that no one's asleep. So I, I, look, I think, um, yeah, I mean, if if that hasn't happened to you yet, it it probably will. I've had a few sort of animated dunas pop up out of nowhere. It is a bit uh, terrifying, but I'm just, uh, to be honest, I, I drifted off thinking of a beautiful quote card for, for you. It'll be uh, Chris straight to the bedroom or that'll, uh, that'll suit you pretty well and that'll get, uh, that'll get people talking about you. Yeah, it's, look, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't do it by choice. I do it because it's the best thing to, um, to avoid other people seeing them while they're in their um, vulnerable state. So... <laughs> I've uh, I've I've learnt to to clear the space before we um, bring people through. 
So uh, we've, I guess we've, we've sort of assumed that the position that these, these higher, super high-end properties in Sydney aren't necessarily good investments. Yes, you might have some great compounding and if you can time it well, you can make a lot of money if you've got a fair stack of money to start with. But is there anything that your average in, investor in Sydney or across the country can learn from how the high-end market operates? Often when we see cycles sort of coming back from the peak it's the high-end stuff that tends to, to drop the most or, or the quickest. Is are, are there any sort of signs that we can we can look for in the high-end that are going to help us make better choices in the lower end of the market? Look, I, d- I don't think the cycles follow each other. Um, I think, you know, you are looking at separate markets and I don't think one indicates the other so much as, as I've seen over the years is toward the end of a market, yeah, we do see a bit of a run on the prestige sales. So, um, you know, you, you might be doing a consistent number of deals and then all of a sudden you have a cracky year and, and you'll see, you know, especially the agents around Mossman um, start to do some big turnover. So I think, yeah, toward the end of a um, traditional residential um, boom, you would see in the last the last 12 months or, or even after the peak, you'll see people cashing in on the, um, on the profit. Now, we, we can tell from our, our data here at MCG that a lot of people jumped into the Sydney market just before the boom and, and as properties were, were going up. There's still uh, a lot of people that have got exposure to the Sydney market whilst they might be looking to, to invest elsewhere at the moment just because of where we're at at the cycle. But can you tell us what's happening on the ground in Sydney, whether it be the prestige market or, or, or just in general? Give us a bit of a, a, an update. Um, we're probably talking by the time this goes live, you know the the middle of 2019, just on the back of of the end of the um, the, the campaign with the Liberal Party uh, winning winning office and and some of the APRA changes coming. Where are we at the moment, and what do you see? Yeah, so um, pre-election it was slowing down a bit. Um, you know, people people always want to make decisions confidently, knowing what they're getting into, and and having that um, over their heads whether it capital gains tax or the um, the other changes that Labor were, were proposing, um, yeah, it, it did sort of put a people, few people off. And I think that's that's back to normal now. Um, those people who were cautious are, are in the market. They're making decisions. They're purchasing. Um, days on market have sort of blown out a little bit. Um, I, I would say it's gone from um, anywhere of, of normal amount to probably add another 20 30%. Um, it just depends on where, what area you're looking at as well. But um, stock levels have definitely come back. I mean, there's less on the market at the moment. Um, we're seeing people selling now is because they are they might be upgrading, um, so they're 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 gaining the difference. Um, but yeah, I think the market's the market is pretty stable. And and now that liberals in, we've got some consistency. I'm expecting nothing dramatic to change. I mean, APRA's proposal that they're going to ease off on serviceability is great. I don't see that impacting the market in a way that it'll create a, a run on it. Essentially, there's still a lot of a lot of compliance and, and regulation behind um, whether you can actually borrow money. Um, I, I think the, the amount you can borrow sort of is the, the secondary thing because fundamentally, if you're, you know, let's say you're approved for a million dollars or $10 million, um, you don't always spend that entire amount that you're approved for. So a lot of people do like to have that, that um, I guess, that 
that gap of safety. Um, so if that gap goes up 5%, I don't think it'll have a big impact on the market, but it, it will create confidence, which is what we need. Can we do a bit more of a deep dive into that APRA stuff? Um, at the, the time of recording today, it was it was only just announced that they're they're running a consultation period, which will which will finish. Uh, I think at the 18th of June, they're proposing that rather than the the seven percent uh, stress testing cap, and banks were sort of required to have a reasonable buffer, so everyone's sort of stress testing at seven point two five percent. They're now saying that there'll be a minimum buffer proposed of, of 2.5% over the standard sort of interest rate. So I guess we're talking about 6, 6.5% thereabouts. It, it, it's, that, that's one part of it, right? And as far as I understand, you know, only 5 to 10% of people actually borrow the maximum, but there, 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 there will be a real increase in people's borrowing capacity. But it's not going to be as good as a lot of people are forecasting, in my view, and I think yours as well, because of the those serviceability issues with, with calculating expenses and that sort of stuff. There's still a lot of documentation that's required by the banks that they weren't that heavy on it, say, three or four years ago. Is, is that right? Can you give us some insights into that? Yeah, well, I can tell you firsthand, I'm actually organizing a finance approval for myself now, and the broker keeps coming back and asking for more and more documents. And I bought something, it was uh, five years ago now, and um, it was a pretty straightforward affair. So my just, just my own personal experience being a consumer um, dealing with finance at the moment, yeah, it's they're asking for a lot more um, and they're being very particular. And the, the amounts you can borrow if you have the same income um, now is less than it was a few years ago. Um, obviously, if they, they ease up on that, that'd be great. But I'm, I'm of a view I won't spend the whole amount that I'm approved for. I, I want a certain amount to, to do what I want to do with. So I think... I think, if anything, it will deliver confidence, um, and and confidence is everything in the market. Buyer sentiment is what is what moves prices. So if people are confident, they'll buy. If they're not, they won't. Um, if more people are confident, well, more people will buy, and therefore the prices will push up. And I think, as long as we can keep that that balance um, in in consumers' minds that everything's okay, which it is. Uh, I think we'll do well. So I'm, I'm, my prediction is status quo. Um, you know, we may see more uh, stock come to market um, because sellers are confident that they can sell their property for a reasonable price. Um, and whether they're transacting to upsize, downsize, um, divorce, death, whatever it is, you know, there's always sales in the market. But I think those people that were holding back, whether they're buying or selling, will, um, will be moving into the market now. On the Monday after the election result, I, I had a post uh, or a comment on one of my posts on social media from a real estate agent saying that inquiry was was dead. And as as early as the Monday after the election result, it went sort of gangbusters. Is that do you, do you sort of track inquiry levels as a as a sort of digital metric or or or, or go by feel? And and can you sort of report from the coalface what sort of happened after the election? Do you think the people that were perhaps sitting on their hands are a bit more animated now? Yeah, um, I mean, we can look at open numbers and, and specifically say, yes, they've increased. But I think more importantly, uh, you know, all of us, we we do certain things for a living every day. You get a feel for, for what's happening in the market and, and the conversations you're having with people. And I think there is a lot more confidence. 
Um, and yeah, fundamentally, that just means that, that people are ready to make decisions, whereas previously they were umming and ahhing, and a, a, you may get a price out of them, you may not, that you may. They may say they're interested, but not actually do anything. I mean, I've never dealt with so many people that would tell me that it's a great property. Um, they just they just don't want to do anything yet. <laughs> so it's um, whereas now they're 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 committing. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and I and I think that we're yeah we're likely to probably see a bit of short term activity uh, on on the back of that extra confidence. And yeah, hopefully hopefully the APRA changes will see a little bit more activity in the market. Obviously, sales volumes are great for you, but there's a lot of other industries that get fed, such as you know pest and building people and conveyances and 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 humble quantity surveyors such as myself as well. Look, Chris, I know that you're uh, you've been a pretty uh, in, in active investor over. The the years you've, you've sort of flirted in the in the development space and obviously had a lot of exposure to clients doing the same uh, over the years are, are there particular opportunities that you see or areas of the country that are sort of attracting your interest at the moment look there are there's, there's markets like um well i can only talk about what i know right so i've sold in townsville um that market there it hasn't improved since the gfc um, vacancy rates are tightening up there, so I think there's some capacity for, for growth there. Whether it's growth or, or high yields, it's um, it's certainly attractive. Um, the Gold Coast is it had a bit of a rush um, prior to the Commonwealth Games. Um, after the games, it sort of just fell off, and and we're seeing now it's pretty pretty stable. Um, but I think you know yields are, are fairly reasonable there, and it's it's got some good infrastructure coming in and. Um, for me, it, that's quite attractive as well. Sydney, look, it's a long-term punt at the moment. We've just come off the back of a really aggressive growth cycle. So, you know, we've had um, 12 to 18 months now of, of prices coming back. We, I think we've fairly much stabilised. I don't see it coming back much more, if any, um, especially with uh, APRA changing these regs now. So, look, my, my pick is... If you want to live somewhere, you know, and, and it suits you at the time and, and it's the right property and, it, and you absolutely love it, go for it. Um, if you're investing at the moment, I'd, I'd be looking at yields. Um, you know, long term is, is really the punt. So wherever that, that needs to be for you. Um, but the bigger the economy, so Sydney, um, the more stable it is as well long term. So I think it, it really depends on, on what you're buying for. It's a good time to to chase yields at the moment, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned um, places like the Gold Coast. I know that they're regularly getting you know yields upwards of of six percent at the moment. Do you think that's an important strategy for investors to take? I mean, you mentioned obviously that the growth is the goal, but that's a long term thing. So anything that enables you to hold a property for the long term is is is, is a safe bet for for investing. I know you're pretty conservative with with investing yourself. Is that a, a strategy? you'd recommend people employ? Yeah, look, I'm just not a big fan of, of giving some of my salary away to my investment property to um, just to, to keep it in the hope that it's going to go up in price. Um, you know, there, there are no guarantees in life. And I think um, you can look at it two ways. You can go, oh, I'm going to negatively gear something in an area that I feel is very aggressive and, and will grow. Um, and that may well suit you if that's your strategy. Um, but for others, there's, you know, they're looking at properties that are paying for themselves or close to and, and that have potential upside. And you know, that may be a development 
opportunity that maybe if it's a, a, a subdivision of existing lots, um, who knows what that is. But I think regardless of what you're investing in, whether that's property stocks or certain areas of property, I just always encourage people to to understand it intimately. Um, you know, I, I don't always like to rely on other people's advice. I like to know what it is I'm getting into. And unless I do, I, I just won't transact. So I think that's probably, you know, my two cents, if I can impart that on, on someone else. Just if you're going to invest in something, understand it yourself. I think that's pretty sound sound advice, mate. And I'm I'm interested in in your thoughts on I guess the exposure that you've had to a lot of these high net worth individuals. You would have rubbed shoulders with a lot of highly successful people, and the rich lists are often telling us that these people are tending to make most of their money in property. Certainly, there's some exceptions to the rule, but of the people that that you've seen uh, that have done pretty well to the point where they can, you know, they can spend five thousand dollars a week on rent or they can buy a 10 or 20 million dollar property what what are some of the the key takeaways for you and the ways that they've been successful that maybe your average investor could try and emulate <laughs> you have work hard i don't <laughs> think there's any we i want don't shortcuts. think there's any <laughs> um you know like there's, there's no secret to success in in terms of whether that's being a real estate agent um you know a, a successful plastic surgeon or or you know, selling cars and worked your way up to own the dealerships, or or you've you know the Atlassian guys who've done really well for themselves. You know, I I don't think anyone's really had it handed to them that that has made a self-made. Um, you know, if if you've got an inheritance or you're part of a family that's very fortunate, congratulations. Um, most of the population aren't, aren't in that situation. So I think you know if you're not. Um, I, I just think, you know, work work hard, obviously be smart about it, um, pick an industry where you can excel or, or uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's such a vague sort of question because, I mean, it, it, it really is dependent on the individual situation, what they do for a living. I could tell a cleaner to work hard, doesn't mean that they'll be successful, but if they begin to bring in business, and multiply the amount of work that they're creating. They can then start their own company and then employ other people and then get larger contracts and then move that to the stage where you you know you might clean all of all of a certain airlines planes and and so you know I think regardless of how simple what you do now is you, you if you look forward you I think you can sort of yeah work hard and be smart about it. If there's one thing I know people love, it's these shortcuts. It's right, you know, like how did you grow your business? Oh, well, there's this this secret algorithm that if you can only understand on Instagram, then that's going to give you all the answers and you'll be able to 10 times your growth. But as, <laughs> as, as much as we're all disappointed to know that uh, your your secret to success is work hard, but unfortunately that's 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 just life. Uh, Mike, I, I still knock on doors. So, you know, I, I, I there's no there's no secret to it. I'm, I'm still... Um, very much working my butt off on a daily basis um, and and no piece of business has ever been handed to me if I've absolutely had to earn it so um, I can't say anything else. For people's doors that uh, you aren't knocking on that would love to, to be in touch with you Chris, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah they can get me on the mobile it's 0490 416 491 um, or they can email me at c o r at savills.com.au.
love the mobiles. It's such exclusive access. People can just give you a call and go, hi, just listen to you on the podcast. Let's uh, let's sell this $10 million yeah, place. I'm a real person. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, just to just to wrap up, Chris, if if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to property investors, what would that be? Look back to my earlier comment. Just know what you're know what you're buying. Um, I always look for upside personally. So whether that's development opportunity or um, you're buying, say for example, in a block of units that has zoning for development upside, you may not be in a position to to do that yourself, um, or you may just own one unit of, of multiple units. But down the track, obviously, if there's another run on the market, a developer may be coming through and, and wanting to buy up a certain block, um, you can get some upside on, on price for that. So, you know, there's lots of different ways to look at it, um, but I always look for infill. I want something that is, um, you know, surrounded by existing property. I would like something with upside. I would like something that has a great yield. Um, potentially positively geared. You can't have everything, um, but if those three things are there, I'm, I'm, I would be looking at it pretty seriously. Beautiful. I think uh, people can't go wrong if they can get that holy trinity together. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. No worries. Thanks for having me, Mike. Mm-hmm.